tonight. Praise the Lord. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Uh, tonight, I want to bring to your attention a, a couple of verses. And uh, we're losing many people to the battle of the mind. We've been addressing that. We've been kind of highlighting that on Wednesdays during the summer. And so many people are losing that battle. And they're, they're thinking that uh, their days are far worse than others sometimes or you look at statistics and you begin to see the suicide rates are up and the discouragement rates are up and the depression rates are up and young people across the board, all of that. And you begin to think about this battle that we have and what we feed our mind with and what we think on with our mind and what we allow to cross through our mind and what we're thinking on right this even moment. And tonight, as you come to Psalm 73, I want you to notice these words, and we'll draw an application here in just a little while. And there is some hope in Psalm 73 that you begin to see concerning what are some things we need to do, what are some things that we need to, to try to place an emphasis on, or even, let's go a step further, acknowledge on a daily basis to help us to win this battle of the mind. Right this very moment, there may be someone that has walked in the doors of the church that is making this statement within their mind right now. Yeah, Pastor, but you just don't understand. You understand how, how bad I've got it. You, you don't understand that the problems that I'm facing, you don't understand the circumstances that I'm having to endure. You just don't understand it. And maybe one day when you get to, to this circumstance or this problem that I'm having, maybe then you'll understand. I wish I could say that that were the case, but I believe that every single one of us endures certain circumstances. And one of the truths the Lord has been dealing with me over the last couple of years about is that my circumstances do not determine whether God is good or not. They never can and never will. They ought not. But notice what the psalmist says here is you come in contact with a man, as we'll look in Second Chronicles here in just a little while. His name is Asaph, a psalm of Asaph. And notice what he says in verse number one. Because this is where many people are tonight. Many Christians, as a matter of fact. He says, Truly God is good to Israel, even as such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The psalmist here is going to give us some insight here in a little while. He's going to begin to describe the wicked. He's going to begin to describe his circumstances. As a matter of fact, he's going to go as far as to, to give us some insight into where he was at and what he was struggling with and how he came out of this battle, if you would. But for many of us tonight, this is where we have found ourselves, or maybe there might be one here tonight that is making this statement, truly God is good. That word truly speaks of the word surely. It says surely God is good. Uh, obviously God is good, but then he says in verse number two, but as for me, and here in a few moments, you're going to see and be given some insight into this. And we have to ask ourselves the same question that we've asked ourselves the last three messages concerning our mind. And we ask this question, what controls your mind? As you look in Philippians chapter number four, as we've already highlighted, and we're not going to go over there tonight, but I do want to emphasize this again because it's been a little while. We see these words continuously walking on down from Philippians chapter number four, verse four, all the way to verse number nine. And you begin to get some insight into the mind and some of the, 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 the joys of the Christian life, if you would. The admonishment concerning what we are giving ourselves to, what we are thinking on, and how we are living. As he says these words, be careful for nothing. That is the caution, as we've already said. Be careful for nothing. 
Don't take it for granted if you would. But he then goes on and says, But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That is the prayer right there. The caution is, hey, be careful for nothing. The prayer is made very simple here. But in everything, not just some things. Hey, not just the things that you like. Not just the, the seasons that are good, but in everything. It doesn't say for everything, it says in everything. He goes on and begins to deal with praise, as he says, with thanksgiving. We see the peace of our mind, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I'll be honest with you, there have been some people who have gone through some very, very difficult circumstances. And as I began to try to put myself in those people's shoes, and you've done this before, But as you begin to acknowledge the situations of other people's lives, sometimes you might utter the words, I can't imagine. I can't imagine what they're going through. I can't imagine how they got through all of that. There's a young girl just uh, this past year who was just a weekend away from getting married, and all of a sudden, just one day, her fiancé just collapsed and died just like that. You fast forward a week after the passing of her fiancé, and she's in her church singing the praises to her Lord. You're sitting there and you're saying, I can't Im- how is she doing that? How is she able to do that? I can't imagine all that she is going through. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So you see the peace there, you see the purpose. Think on these things. And as we begin to think of the proclaiming here, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. So I ask you this question again, what controls your mind? Now, later on tonight, I'm going to ask this question. I want you to think on this question tonight. I'm not going to ask it right this very moment for you to raise your hands, but I do want to know later on, but I want you to think on this because I want to know how to pray for you and to pray specifically for you. But maybe you're sitting here tonight and maybe you have been in this place before where you have entered into this season where you asked the question or you began to think or even doubted that the Lord is truly good no matter what. I remember teaching the young people, this was probably close to a year now or so, and we began to uh, start this where on the first Wednesday evening during the school year, me and Miss Kelly will go in there with the teens, and Brother John will come out, and he'll preach out here. That allows us to be able to stay connected with the young people and still stay involved. And I remember asking that question. How many of you truly believe that all things work together for good? Now, I remember sitting in that room and Beginning to see, the beginning to see as each young person began to answer that. Let's be honest, it's a hard question to answer sometimes. All things? And so you ask this question tonight. I want you to think on this for just a few moments. Have you ever been in a season, or maybe you're there right this very moment, that you are truly questioning that God is good no matter what? I've talked to many people. I remember talking to Josiah Patterson. As I was working at Park West Hospital in Valet Parking, and I remember him sharing his testimony, as many of you know, about his parents. As they were, his dad was a pastor, and his mom was serving in their local church, and they began to get a, a divorce, and they're out of church and all this. And Josiah had all of that pain and all of that hurt, and that's what he saw concerning the Christian life. 
And Josiah Patterson, as I was working with him and he was my manager, would have told you that I don't believe that God is good no matter what. Why? Because he had endured some pain, some heartache. The ministry that he was introduced to was a ministry where his dad was preaching one thing in the pulpit on Sunday and living something else Monday through Saturday. Where he he was seeing that, hey, this is what I'm told to do, but my parents aren't doing this. So he didn't believe that God was good no matter what. You know, sometimes our circumstances begin to dictate whether truly we think God is good or not. People that come into our lives and hurt us, sometimes we allow those people to dictate whether we truly believe that God is good no matter what. The things that we think we ought to have and the things that the Lord begins to take away and the Lord shuts this door and opens this door and all of a sudden we begin to allow those thoughts to creep into our mind that, God, I know your word says you're good, but I just don't know. So the psalmist here in Psalm 73 says, truly God is good. So surely God is good. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. What was controlling his mind? And this season that the psalmist had entered into was truly a season of I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe. I want to be found faithful. I want to know all of these things. And here's the, the, the real telling story of this psalmist here. As you go to the Chronicles, you'll be introduced to the psalmist here. And as you think about 1 Chronicles 15, verses 16 through 19, you can go and read this later on. I encourage you to do so. But the Bible says, And David spake to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers with instruments of music, psalteries, and harps and cymbals, sounding by lifting up the voice with joy. So the Levites appointed Haman, the son of Joel, and of his brethren Asaph, the son of Berechiah. This is the gentleman here. So you begin to get introduced to this gentleman right here. And Asaph was from the priestly tribe of Levi. He would have received the, the best spiritual training that one could account for. Yet, in Psalm 73, all of the upbringing and everything, he enters into a season of doubt, if you would. As he starts off the psalm by saying, surely, truly, God is good. But then goes on in verse number 2 and says, but as for me. I want you to notice some things tonight because I, I believe that we can be helped by this because many Christians enter into that season, sometimes many, many seasons. Sometimes there are times in our lives whenever we think that everything is going well and all of a sudden we get bad news and immediately we're saying, Lord, I know that I'm singing the song, God is so good on Sundays in church and I understand that you answer prayer and that you've been so good to me, but I'm, I'm starting to doubt this. I'm starting to doubt that you're really there, that you really hear my prayers, that you're really, uh, uh, you know, good to me and good to others. And you begin to doubt the goodness of God in your life. So I want you to notice where this all begins. And we'll come to the conclusion of the psalmist tonight and what he concludes within his own life. Notice with me in verse number one, he starts by praising the Lord. He starts by praising the Lord. So this psalm here, as we walk through, you're going to be again to see a transition, if you would. It starts off really good. You think, oh, this is a great song. Truly, God is good. 
Just as we read the Word of God, as you walk along through the Word of God, sometimes you're caught off guard by statements or certain circumstances that someone enters into. And so Psalm 73 verse 1 starts off on a high note. Truly God is good to Israel, even as such as are of a clean heart. And so he begins to speak of the favor of God, good to Israel, if you would. And then that that purity is profitable as he makes the statement to such as are of clean heart. So he's speaking of the purity. Those who are of a pure heart, those who are continuously purifying themselves and staying right with the Lord. And as he is dealing with this, he is praising the Lord. Truly, God is good. Again, this is interpreted as surely. He's saying, oh, truly, surely God is good. It's obvious, is it not? You've been having a conversation with someone. And to... to shorten the conversation here so that you understand you make a statement and and as you make that statement the person is standing there and you are thinking that they were going to agree and so you kind of look at them and you say right and they're they're standing there like sure yeah so the psalmist is saying truly god is good like obviously god is good i mean we we understand that the the lord is good Almost as though that he couldn't even get this out as he was making the statement. All of his upbringing, all of the the, the spiritual training and the, the biblical training that he received. And now, let's just say it this way, he's enduring real life. You know how this is as a young person. You think about coming up in a home and then you get out into the real world and you call your parents for the first time and you say, hey, I, I've got a problem. And your parents on the other line say, Welcome to the real world. Huh. Should have listened. We tried to teach you. Tried to help you. Right? And so the psalmist here is finally coming to the place where he's he's really questioning way all of that training. All of those things that I've ever been told. Surely the Lord is good. And so notice with me not only that it starts out by praising the Lord, but now he begins to address his problem in verse number 2. In verse number 2, all the way down to verse number 16, you begin to see the psalmist addressing the problem. This is going to be a problem that he begins to address concerning a personal problem and and that he is dealing with some things. But notice his crisis, if you would, because in verse number 2 he says this, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well not slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So there's a crisis here. The the psalmist begins to confess that he was almost defeated by this. This was a problem. All of a sudden he is beginning to acknowledge and he is thinking that, wait a second. Why is the wicked prevailing? Let me put it to you this way. You ever ask this question, Lord, I'm faithful to you. I read my Bible every day. I pray every day. I'm faithful in the house of the Lord. I love you. I serve and I do all these things. Yet my neighbor, they live like the devil. And why why do they have so much money? Why don't they have any heartache? Why don't they go through anything? Why aren't they struggling? All of a sudden, you begin to look over at your neighbor and you're thinking, man, they, they cuss like a sailor. They live like the world. They act like the world. They're, I mean, they're they doing everything that you could imagine terribly. And it seems as though they've got all the blessings that I sure would like to have. 
This is what's going through the psalmist's mind here. As he makes this statement in verse number 3, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, the, this statement that he makes, For I was envious of the foolish, begins to give some insight into the, the fact that he knew the wicked was a foolish person. He understood that the fool says in his heart, There is no God. He understood all of these things. And that is why he has encountered a problem and he is making the statement, surely God is good. I mean, truly the Lord, we understand this to be true. But as for me, I don't understand why I'm slipping and while I'm falling and why I'm losing this battle. The foolish is living like the wicked and they are wicked and all of this is prevailing. Why is this happening? And so he's entered into a crisis. He's losing a battle to the mind here in a few moments. You're going to see that it begins to take a deeper level. You know, this little word that is found in verse number two is a word that for many Christians, this is used more religiously than opening our Bibles. But, Lord, I know you're calling me to serve you in this capacity, but Lord, I know your word says that you're good, but I know I should be content with what what I have and what you've blessed me with, but... Lord, I know that you're always going to provide, but we could go on and on and on. We use that little word. And we use it far often. You've been through some spiritual battles. You've been through some trials. And you've seen the Lord prevail. You've seen the Lord provide time and time again. You've gone over the years, many days where you were praying on Friday that you were waiting for next week's paycheck because you had no money. Lord, I just got paid today and I'm already broke. I need you to provide. And what does he do? He provides. And so you fast forward six months and you're back in that same exact spot. And all of a sudden you're saying, Lord, I know you've provided before, but but the financial hold I'm in now is a little bit deeper. And I wonder sometimes that still small voice begins to remind us, can I remind you that there's no hole too deep for me to fill? That there's no struggle too hard for me to handle. There's no trial too hard for me to take care of. And the Lord is trying to remind us that we need to stop saying these things. Lord, I know, but... And so tonight, you might be right there. You might be in the midst of this crisis where you're struggling. Maybe you're going through a season right this very moment of just turmoil and struggle and trials. You've just been beat down time and time again. You're thinking, man, I just wish I could see the end of the tunnel. If I could just see that there's light at the end of the tunnel, that'd be enough. And so you're making this statement, Lord, I know you've always been faithful. Lord... I believe, but Lord, please speak to my unbelief. So the crisis is here. He's acknowledging some of these things. And as you begin to ask this question, if we were to really acknowledge the goodness of God tonight, can we truly appreciate the goodness of God in our lives if there are no trials in our lives? You know, it's been said, you never truly appreciate a good thing until it's gone. You never realize how, how valuable that was to you until you no longer have that. And sometimes we begin to only shed light on the, the blessings in life and the, the specific good times and the joys in life. But can I share with you that some of the greatest blessings within my life are not the joyous seasons, but the trials the Lord brought me through. 
Because it was in the midst of those trials where I said, Lord, I need you. And I would draw nigh to him. And he would begin to reveal to me, hey, child, I've never failed you before. And I'm not going to fail you now. And so I look at those trials and I look at those hard times. And I say, Lord, in the midst of all that, I was doubting you. And Lord, I'm thankful for the joys. I'm thankful for the good times. I'm thankful when I don't have to worry about putting food on the table. I'm thankful when I don't have to worry about putting gas in the gas tank. But Lord, I'm so thankful for that trial right there. Because it was in the midst of that trial, Lord, where you begin to strengthen my faith. And sometimes we continuously make this statement, Lord, I know you have done this time and time again, but and I ask you this question, can you truly appreciate the goodness of God without trials? Can you appreciate the love of God? Can you appreciate his mercy and his grace within your life? Notice what the psalmist is saying here. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The psalmist here is helping us to understand as he is making that statement. But as for me, he is making that in such a, a way of confusion, if you would. He's not quite understanding. Last night I came up to the church for just a little while and I was in the, in the, in the back and I was working on a couple of things with the media and the sound and all of that and trying to, to fool with some things for vacation Bible school and fool with these lights and everything. And I was trying to get to an iPad that we have back there that is locked up. And so I grabbed a key and I began to use that key and it looked like the key that would fit the right exact lock that it needed to unlock. And I, I mean, I was working on it for about five to ten minutes. I mean, just turning it upside down, turning it right. I mean, back and forth. I'm thinking, okay, there's only two ways to put this thing in. I, I mean, surely I'm not really that dumb, you know, like just, just go in and open. I was because it was the wrong key. And so I'm sitting back there for about ten minutes and I'm saying this right here. Surely this is the key, but I'm confused. This, this has got to be the key, but so for instance, you begin to think about this. You've been there before where you had the, the, the right fitting for some plumbing work that you were putting on. You're thinking this, this is, this is the right piece, right? But it's not fitting right. This is the, this is the right tool, but it's, it's not working. This is, and you, whatever you would say. So the psalmist right here is saying, truly God is good, but as for me, so he, he's questioning some of this, but he's confused about this. He is questioning and he's beginning to doubt the personal goodness of God in his own life. You know how we begin to notice that? Because notice what he goes on in verse 1 to say, truly God is good to Israel. Let me say it this way for you tonight. If I were to stand up here and I would say, I believe the Lord is good to our church. And our church, the people of our church. But for me, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't quite understand. Why, why am I having to endure this? Lord, why am I having to go through this? Lord, why, why, is, why am I entering into this season? Psalmist is saying, truly God is good to Israel, but as for me. So he's entering into this season of discouragement and doubt, and he is very simply making the statement, God, I know what your word says, but... As you continue walking on down, he has allowed the wicked to win a battle in his mind, and the wicked is just continuing to live their own wicked lifestyle. 
In verse number four, he says, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt, speak wickedly concerning oppression, they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heaviness, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither. Waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. He is saying this right here. The rich get richer. The wicked, man, they've got it made. I remember a couple of years ago, And you all have heard this before, but as I began to think about personal experiences in my own life of how I have made this statement, Lord, I know that you don't make any mistakes, but I remember Miss Kelly going through the three miscarriages in her life and in our life and in our home and over the span of a year and a half enduring those three miscarriages. And I remember us having conversations. I remember the thought crossing our mind and the words being uttered. Why does so-and-so live like the devil and have as many children as they want? But Lord, we have three miscarriages. Lord, they... They, they, they don't even care about that child. And Lord, you know we would love that child. You see, in our own mind, in our own life, in those moments right then and there, we were allowing the devil to win a battle into convincing us that the Lord had made some mistakes. And I remember in those moments us asking the question, Lord, we know that you're good, that you don't make any mistakes, but why? Why are you allowing this? Why, why is this happening? Lord, why is this going to, 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 to be a situation we have to endure? Not just one time, not just two times, but three times? I, we remember that battle of our mind and losing that battle and beginning to question the goodness of God. And for many of us tonight, you've gone through situations where you were acknowledging and you were thinking of a certain individual, you were thinking of the wicked in general, you were thinking of all of those abortions out there. We ask those questions, Lord, why, why, why are they getting pregnant so easy and going to term and having an abortion? And Lord, we just went through a third. We are asking those questions and all of a sudden we began to allow our personal circumstances to define whether the goodness of God was real or not. We're losing a battle. Some of you have lost that battle due to your finances. Some of you have lost that battle due to someone dying in your family. Some of you have lost that battle to the same circumstances we endured. Some of you have lost that battle due to maybe a child passing away or a loved one passing away or some circumstances that you encountered where along the journey you began to say, Lord, I know you don't make any mistakes, but... And the psalmist has found himself in this place. And let me remind you tonight as you continue walking on down that it just gets worse before it gets better. Notice what he says in verse number 12 and 13 again. 
Verse number 12, he says, and it reminds us, behold, these are the ungodly. He says, who prosper in the world, they increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain. This is a sad statement. Notice with me, number three, he then confronts his problem. Not only does he address it, but he confronts it. You see, I have to ask you the question. There are times in our lives when we have to ask this question. Are we willing to sit in our failure? Are we willing to get it right? And for many people, we're willing to sit in our failure. We're willing to sit in our failure because our pride doesn't want to confront what we have acknowledged, what we have done, where we are at. And so we allow the failure and allow all of that to overtake us. And we say, no, my pride won't let me. The psalmist makes this statement, and later on you're going to see some things as he begins to confront the problem head on. But he makes this statement, which is such a sad statement. Barely I have cleansed my heart in vain. Notice with me concerning this statement, I have cleansed my heart in vain. The psalmist begins to conclude that for a time, he does not believe that it paid to live a holy life. Because he has placed so much emphasis on his personal circumstances. You see, this is the danger of the Christian life when all of a sudden we're confronted with trials and tribulations and we have not been living a life of faith given to the Lord. You see, faith is a muscle that ought to be and has to be exercised. If there's no foundation of faith being lived out, then there's going to come a trial in your life when all of a sudden you're going to begin to doubt all of the foundation of the Christian life. Your circumstances won't be pleasant because your finances get tight. Your circumstances won't be pleasant because uh, death happens in the family or, or circumstances around you begin to overwhelm you or there's answers that have to be provided and you're asking all the questions and you don't know how to go forward. And all of a sudden you're encountering all of this and you're making the statement, Lord, I just don't know if it's worth it any longer. I believe if I were to ask the question tonight, if there are some of you that know of an individual that was living the, 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 the Christian life faithfully that is no longer in the house of God and no longer living for the Lord, I believe we'd have some hands going up. And as sad as that is, somewhere along the line, they made the statement, Lord, I know the Bible says this, but... Now, as I began to think about this question, we had a young man that went to camp with us this past week, and as he was sharing some testimonies, he came to camp having some doubts. He came to camp having some doubts if the Word of God was actually really true or not. If all of that love that the Word of God talks about, if all that hope that the Word of God talks about, if all that comfort and all that joy and all that, that fellowship and everything that the Word of God talks about, is it really true? And he made the statement. He said on, on Monday it was, it was good. It was a good, good, good day. Tuesday it was a good day. He said, but Wednesday. All of a sudden, the Lord began to deal with me, and as the Lord began to deal with me the rest of the week, I confirmed in my heart that yes, the Word of God is true. Every doubt I had had, the Lord confirmed in those moments of my life. You say, so what are you trying to say? I'm saying right this very moment, there could be someone here tonight that you have entered into that season where you're saying, Lord, I know the Word of God says this, but I, I, I don't know. 
surely you're good, but I doubt. Surely you'll provide, but I doubt. And so the psalmist here begins to confront his problem. He's struggling as he makes the statement in verse number 12. They increase in riches. He's speaking of the wicked. The rich get richer, if you would. Verse 13, verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain. All that, that holy living, oh, it didn't pay. It wasn't worth it. And washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I plagued, been plagued and chastened, chastened every morning. Verse 15, if I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Verse 15 and 16 lays the foundation for where we see the transition in the psalmist's life. Verse 15, he comes to a conclusion and he begins to make this statement. As he is making this statement, he is saying in his silence that, hey, I kept silent because I did not want to harm. I did not want to offend. I did not want to be a a stumbling block upon someone else. These two young boys right here begin to have a conversation. Jacob doesn't understand that Jacob's been doubting. You've been struggling. You've been going through it. You've been saying the words, but deep within your heart, you have some questions. You've been coming to church faithfully. You've been serving in the the local church. You've been doing all of the things that you know to do, but deep down, you just don't know if all of this is really the real deal. So you guys begin to have a conversation. Jacob begins to rejoice in something the Lord has done in his life, and Jacob begins to say, "Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, the Lord is good. I agree. But deep within, he's wanting to stay silent and not say a single thing about his disbelief because he does not want to be a stumbling block to him. But then in verse number 16, notice what he goes on and says. 15, he's struggling to hold this in, but he does not want to be a stumbling block. He does not want to be someone to offend someone else. But he goes on in verse 16 and says, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. In verse number 16, he begins to acknowledge that it is painting. He is suffering here. Seeing this in regards to the wicked prospering while the righteous does not. He is asking within his own soul, within his own mind, why is this happening? Jacob, you're saying the Lord is good. Do you not see all of the wicked? Do you not see those living like the devil and they just continue to get their way and they continue to not be punished? Do you not understand all this? That's what's going on in his soul. He's struggling with this. He's asking the question. He's not wanting to say anything, but as he is speaking of this, he's getting enraged even more. He's questioning, Lord, why are you allowing this? He's losing the battle. Can I share it with you tonight? There have been many Christians who have had those conversations. And some of them may stay in church and they may find themselves in verse 17 on down where we will see the turning point. But for many of them, they never get to verse number 17. You see, they become so obsessed with the wicked and how the wicked is prevailing and how they think the wicked is prevailing. You see, the Bible in Psalm 73 later on reminds us that the wicked is going to deal with what they've done. God will make all things right. But sometimes there are people who become so obsessed with and so consumed with thinking the wicked is prevailing that they say this whole living for God thing. 
this whole living the Christian life and abiding within the Lord and serving the Lord and loving the Lord, I, I just don't buy it anymore. And so what's the turning point? Verse number 17, notice what he says. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. You see, fleshly pursuits only produce and will always only produce immediate pleasures. Moses understood this. Moses had to forsake, as a matter of fact, quite a bit. In Hebrews eleven twenty five. notice what the Bible says. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Great faith was manifested right there. As Moses was living for the Lord, he had to choose to say no to some things. He had to choose that, hey, there's no fame that's going to be caused to my name. There's no, no one going to recognize me. There's not going to be any power. I have to endure these things. And in the Christian life, there has to come a time when we begin to choose faith and refuse the world, where we relinquish some things and embrace some things, where we learn to say yes to some things and learn to say no to some things, where we look at the Lord and say, Lord, thy will be done, not my will be done. Moses understood this. As you continue walking through Scripture, you think about Paul and what Paul had to say. 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Notice the contrast here. Paul says right here, For our light affliction, which is for but a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He's saying right here, our affliction is light, but our reward is heavy. He's saying, hey, our affliction is for a moment, but our reward is for eternity. This past week, as we went to camp, I believe one of the twins began to share the the illustration. I'm going to share it tonight so that you can get the visual. You two boys, come here for just a moment. Jacob and Jacob. Jacob squared. Y'all come here. Y'all come on up here. Y'all come up here. I think sometimes we can't truly wrap our mind around eternity. That word, you can't fathom eternity. Forever. Everlasting. Evermore. You stand right here. We'll, we'll act as though this is from the birth all the way until about 70 years, as Brother Pope was illustrating just a couple of days ago. And let's just say right here for just a moment, Jacob, you come here, and Jacob is from here to there is 70 years. Can I share with you, this is eternity. Keep walking. Keep going. Stop for just a moment. Affliction. Pain, struggles, watching the wicked and how they live and all those things that are taking place. Keep walking. Eternity with our Lord. Stop right there for me. Paul is saying, hey, our affliction is but for a moment. The struggles, the trials... All of what we're going to do. Hey, the wicked, this is, this is their glory right here. But our glory is over there. Oh, when we get to behold our Savior face to face and understand that those afflictions were but just for a moment. But oh, joy that we'll find in eternity as we begin to realize this is eternity and it continues to go. And we could send Jacob out that, that window right there and he could keep on walking. That is eternity. 
Paul says, boys, you can be seated. Paul does not say that, but I'm telling you, boys, you can be seated. Paul says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Notice what he goes on to say. Verse 18, surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou canst, that can, can't castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakeneth? Awaketh. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reign. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. So notice what he goes on to say in verse number 17 on down. Notice what he says in verse 17 again at the beginning until I went to the sanctuary. He was blind for a season. His perspective was off. You see, this is what happens when we begin to get our eyes off of Jesus and our eyes on everything else but Jesus. The psalmist begins to acknowledge, hey, I was blind because I was not looking at the Lord. I was looking at the wickedness and I was looking at all these. The truth is this. When you get into the presence of God, all of a sudden your perspective is straightened back out. Can I ask you this question tonight? Maybe you're battling some things and you're struggling some things and you've made the statement, Lord, I know what your word says, but... Are you the times in which you're getting into the Word of God? Are they mere times in which you're just going so that you can check the box? Are you trying to read your Bible with the intention of, Lord, deal with thy servant. Lord, I don't want to just read. I want to meet with you. So he begins to acknowledge that he was blind for a season. He didn't understand all this. But then he begins to make the statement in verse number 22. So foolish was I. Who was I to think the wicked was prevailing? I know all the teachings that I received. I know all the answers that I have, have had answered and the questions I've answered, all those things. I understood all of that. So foolish was I and ignorant. It's as though as you stop for a few moments, the Holy Spirit begins to remind you, child, have I never, have I ever come to the place in your life when I've not taken care of you? If I were to go back, and I remember this vaguely at certain times, I would imagine in my, my life as a teenager, but if I were to, to go back and I were to, to ask my parents as I was 16, 17, or 18, with doubt in my, my voice and with trembling, almost assuming that they weren't going to care for me, I would imagine my parents would have said, have, I, have we ever not cared for you? Have we ever not put clothes on your back? Have we ever not put food on the table? The psalmist is acknowledging his ignorance and his foolishness because it's as though he is reminded right then and there, you know, Lord, you've never not taken care of me. Yet in the midst of the season, and we've said this before, it's easier said than done. You know why we say it's easier said than done? Oftentimes within our lives, we too, if I were to throw my own little pity party, I'll make the statement, oh, it's easier said than done. Here's why. Because we don't want to live out our faith. We don't want to practice our faith. We don't want to go through the trial. Lord, my will be done, not your will be done. Lord says you've got to go through the trial. Nope, I don't want to go through the trial. You've, you've got to go through the trial. Lord, I don't think you're understanding my will be done, not thy will be done. All of a sudden we lose perspective of all of this. And so notice the conclusion, and we conclude with this tonight. 
We begin to see the psalmist here is acknowledging some things. He's confronting his problem. He's acknowledging or addressing his problem. And he began the psalm by starting out to praise the Lord. And I won't elaborate tonight on these things, but notice with me in verse number 23 on down, we find that he found and acknowledged the hope. Verse number 23, nevertheless, I'm continually with thee. Notice three things we see here concerning this hope that he found. Number one, he reminded himself of God's presence in his life. God's presence in his life. The psalmist began to acknowledge this. I am continually with thee. A continual presence, a a close presence, a serious presence, a, a desire to be in communion with his children. You know, there are times when we wake up and we think the Lord doesn't care about us. Oh, you're, that's the furthest from the truth. Oh, He loves us. We see His presence. Verse number 25, we see His presence as He makes the statement, Whom have I in heaven but Thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside Thee. So we see His presence is acknowledged. We see number 2 concerning this hope that is found in verse number 24. He says, Thou shalt guide me. The battle of the mind, the psalmist is losing a battle of the mind because he's looking at the wicked, he's looking at the world, he's thinking, oh, they've got it made. Until he enters into the presence of the Lord. Begins to get the right perspective. He says, oh, Lord, I needed your presence. Number two, I need to be reminded of your protection. He says, thou shalt guide me. And as you continue reading on to verse number 26, he says this. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, he begins to acknowledge God's provision. I believe in many of our lives we are willing and we like to acknowledge or we desire to acknowledge the protection of God. Sometimes we don't want to get into the presence of the Lord. We like to acknowledge the protection. It's easy sometimes, but sometimes we're unwilling to acknowledge the provision of God in our lives. Because we think that sometimes the Lord hasn't provided enough. And we think the Lord hasn't provided what we think we need. And it's only until we come to the end of ourselves within our lives when we think is best and we begin to acknowledge once again, Lord, Thy will. Thy will. And so in verse 28, we see these precious words. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. As we deal with this battle of the mind throughout the summer, many people are losing a battle of the mind in different areas. Some are depressed and discouraged and on the, on the verge of committing suicide because of their circumstances and everything that they've had to endure. Some are discouraged and just wanting to quit on God because they're looking at the wicked and the world and everything and they're thinking, oh, the world is winning. The wicked is prevailing. The Lord reminds us and the psalmist says these, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. I begin to think about my own life and where I found myself in the midst of Psalm 73 as I made reference to that time in our life. I remember being in verse number 22, so foolish was I and ignorant. 
Lord, uh, why would I even think that you've made a mistake? I remember being in that place and asking the question, Lord, I know you make no mistakes, but why? Lord, I, I, might, I might be doubting this one. A week or so after Kelly's third miscarriage, I remember her sitting down with a young lady who was going through a miscarriage right at that moment. Along the journey, there have been others who Miss Kelly mainly has been able to counsel with and help and bring along concerning this because the question always comes in your mind, Lord, why? I remember she got a phone call. And we always ask this question. Sometimes you know this to be true, that you're just, you're just kind of going through the motions just because you don't know what else to do. You're putting on the smile, but deep within, there's tears and agony and pain. You, you don't really know how to respond, and so you just don't respond. I remember a phone call was made. I remember sitting on the couch. A year or so later, Miss Kelly got a phone call, and on the other line was the director of the the South Haven Ladies Conference that was talking to her and they got to talking and she asked Miss Kelly to come and speak at that conference and long story short, one of the things that led her to have that conversation and ask her, she said, we've been following everything that you've gone through. And it just was encouraging to see that you were still serving and living faithfully and doing all these things. Let me remind you for just a moment. Sometimes in our lives, that's what people see. They see us going on. Sometimes they don't see the deep struggle going on behind closed doors. They don't see the questioning. They don't see the, well, maybe we should just stop. Go back to these two boys for just a moment. Jacob was going through all of those questions. I walk into the house of God. I begin to shake his hand and say, I'm just proud of you for being Man, I'm proud to see you. I'm happy to see you tonight. He shakes my hand with a smile on his face and says, yeah, it's good to be here. The smile is there, but behind the smile are tears. Behind the smile... Within his brain are questions. Within his soul is questions. Within his soul, he wants to quit with every fiber of his being until he's brought to realize the goodness of God. Can I share with you tonight, within every single one of our lives, there are times whenever we are going through things and we are asking the question, Lord, why? And we have to keep in mind that the affliction sometimes is just a mere season. The grand scheme of everything, it's but a day. It's but a snap of the fingers. But all the glory that God will get in the midst of our affliction as we go on through eternity, I say this, it's worth it. You say, how can you say it's worth it? I say it's worth it because He's worth it. 
We don't always understand all of it, but you may be struggling right now and you're saying, Lord, I know your word says you're good, but I have questions. Psalmist had those exact same questions until he got into the presence of the Lord and said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Maybe you're there tonight. I want to encourage you. Bring it to the Lord. Lord, we do thank you tonight. I pray that you would take this invitation, use it the way you see fit. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray.